Hello and good morning. Good morning. My name is Joshua, uh, and I just want to say what a privilege it is to be able to share God's word with you guys this morning, um, and what an honor it's been to be uh, invited onto the teaching team here with such great uh, leaders and fathers of the faith. Um, we have such an incredible family uh, here at Shine, and it's such an honor to get to share God's word with you guys this morning. Um, again, like I said, my name is Joshua. I am a local chaplain in the area. If you've heard of chaplaincy, maybe in the military or uh, in a hospital, um, I am a corporate chaplain. Um, so I travel up and down the front range and work for a lot of businesses, just uh, getting to be uh, kind of like an in-house counselor and chaplain and, and, and spiritual care worker for all the employees uh, of a lot of companies up and down the front range. And it's an honor to do so. Um, I have uh, a beautiful bride and four kids. My bride's not with me this morning. Um, our four kids are, are in uh, kids' church this morning, ages three, five, seven, nine. Boy, girl, boy, girl. We're, we love our patterns. We're very <laughs> patterned family. Um, anyway, but it's just a joy to get to uh, be here with you all, get to love Jesus, get to know his love a little bit more. So um, let's dive into his word. And let me go ahead and start with uh, another word of prayer, if you guys don't mind. (sighs) Father, thank you so, so much for your faithful, um, your jealous love for us, Lord. Uh, It's new every morning, your mercies every morning, your faithfulness as sure as the sun. So we thank you, Lord, and we rejoice in in your love every morning. Uh, We are consumed by that reality. We are transformed by that reality. Uh, Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to demonstrate your love. And Father, we we receive that this morning. I pray pray for um, anyone here who has a hard time receiving your love. Oh, Lord, myself included in different moments, uh, would you heal uh, those, those parts of our hearts where there's a, there's a hole that allows your love to seep through and not be retained uh, and not be transformative? Lord, I know there's a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. Uh, there's a lot of misconceptions even of you and your love, Lord. And Father, I pray for a complete healing this morning by your grace and by your spirit uh, that your love would consume us. Lord, would I be faithful with your word? So Holy Spirit, just uh, surrender to you. Uh, would you speak through me? Allow me just to be a conduit of your grace and your mercies. And we thank you for your word, Jesus. Pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Uh, if you want to turn with me to 1 John. 1 John, we are in chapter 4 this morning. Uh, we've been studying uh, this awesome letter, short letter, written by John. He's written a couple other uh, letters that we have in the New Testament in the Bible, um, but we're going to start in First John chapter four, is where we're at this morning. Um, this is a really, really cool contraption, device, whatever you want to call it, thing. It's a thing, thing. This is a mirror. Now this is crazy, because this little piece of glass that has been coated with uh, some liquid silver. Uh, and paint it a little bit, uh, has been the standard for hundreds and thousands of years of how you perceive yourself. Because none of us in this room have 
ever seen ourselves with our own eyes. You've never seen your own face with your own eyes. But you've trusted this little contraption to tell you who you are, or at least what you look like. Right? Right? Or maybe a, a picture, something captured your image, a reflection, and you trusted it. <laughs> you believe every morning this, this is what you actually look like. And, you, and you've got a lot of faith, right, in this piece of glass. Uh, all throughout scripture, uh, we have literally in James, right, where, where James says, you know, my word is a mirror. We have to come to the mirror of God's word. We've got to understand who we are and what we look, look like in Christ. And John is going to continue on because I know it's already been preached, the first few chapters of, of, of 1 John. This is your identity. This is who you are. You are loved. You are loved. You are loved. We put these uh, little bracelets out on everybody's chair. You are loved, beloved. This is the first word of 1 John chapter 4. And this is, this is uh, what I want to try to embrace this morning is, is that there is a standard by which we all hold ourselves to, by which we measure ourselves to. And if it is not the standard of God's perfect love and his truth found in his word, uh, our image is going to be marred and our identity is going to be off in a lot of different aspects of how we live and how we live out Christ and how we emulate Christ as we're being conformed into his image. So I want to bring this standard uh, to our attention as I know this is what John is doing. And first and foremost, um, he's starting with this, this reality that we are loved. Uh, so First John 4, chapter 1, and we're going to actually even sit on that word, um, beloved. Uh, I think most of us would agree that there's a major identity crisis in the world right now, right? On a, just a human level, who are we? Who am I? Um, uh, there's a massive identity crisis. And in, in, even within the church, we can easily come into a reality of an identity crisis when we stopped seeing ourselves as the ones who God says we are, and as the ones that Christ paid for us to become. If we don't believe his truth and we don't receive his reality of his love, uh, our identity gets off, our identity get, gets marred, and we do not fully portray the glory of God to the world, and they don't get to know his love, because uh, this sits in us, his spirit. So uh, I believe um, that we cannot reform the culture around us uh, without redeeming people's identity and without Christ redeeming our identities. Uh, we, can, we can believe and hope for reform through political mandates and setting laws that dictate morals. Good luck. <laughs> Unless the heart of man is transformed by the love of God, there is no hope for change. Unless the heart of man is consumed by the love of Jesus Christ, there is no hope for change. It's all just Band-Aids and temporal fixes. Um, and so, uh, I believe the devil is terrified of sons and daughters of the Most High. That's us, sons and daughters of the creator of the universe. I believe the devil is terrified uh, when we know who we truly are. Uh, that's why the devil, literally in his name, means to be a deceiver, a liar. That's all he can do. That's all he... He has no authority, but he has the power to deceive and to lie and to manipulate us. 
and he'll stop at nothing to sell you lies and keep you from your identity in Christ because that's when the kingdom of heaven stops being uh, built, okay? Uh, because Jesus came preaching the kingdom of heaven. Um, there's nothing more powerful on earth, I believe, and more dangerous to the devil than a believer walking completely in the purest reality of who they are in Christ. Right. Nothing more powerful. We're going to start to dig some of this out. Even Jesus in Matthew 16, he asks he these two questions. I think these are the two questions that we have to solidify today. As we step out of here more in Christ and more empowered by his love than ever before, uh, those the same questions that Jesus asked Peter, uh, I believe it's Matthew 16. Uh, remember when he sits down and asks Peter, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And then right after he answers, I have this verse written down here. Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. The revelation of who Jesus is only comes through the Holy Spirit too. We're not gonna convince or change people's minds in our own abilities to manipulate them or to, to just through cognitive knowledge tell them enough truth. Like Holy Spirit has to transform people, has to transform our minds and our hearts and that's what he's done in and through us. And so now Jesus is saying this like, you have this revelation of who I actually am and this was given to you by my father and also I say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and he continues to affirm Peter and who he is. So here's the two questions we have to have solidified. Who is Jesus and who are you? Who is Jesus and who are you? And I believe, I believe that your perception of Christ and your perception of yourself are arguably the two most important hinges on which your earthly and your eternal destiny hang. Uh, God has destined you for greatness for his glory. Every single one of us. But to the, to the degree that we do not fulfill that destiny is to the degree that we do not obey who he says we are and walk in that reality and that revelation of who Christ is in us and who Jesus says we are and to the degree that we perceive Jesus is who he says he is and he actually accomplished and did what he said he did. What we believe is, is the essence of who we are. I think that's ultimately the, the story of the whole New Testament, right? Believe, believe, whoever believes will be saved, and the truth will set us free. So we start here with this word beloved, First uh, John chapter four, verse one, and he says we are beloved. He used this as enduring, endearing term like that's used in like a family context. That's, uh, he's used six times in this letter, the word beloved. He's also gonna use it twice just in this chapter. Uh, obviously there weren't chapters when he was writing this letter. Uh, he uses it twice, and, and 20 other times in this short little 15-minute letter, you could probably read through this whole letter in 15 minutes, the whole book of 1 John, he uses other endearing terms as a father, right? Oh, my young children, my beloved children. Uh, anyway, all these, all these terms that kind of have context inside of family. I don't believe we can come to the fullest revelation of how loved we are outside of the context of family. Christ died for his church. A church is supposed to be a family. As you read the New Testament, every time he talks about his church and a bride, it's always using terminology that's in the context of family. Fathers and sons, mothers and daughters. This is how we train each other and love each other, and this is how we demonstrate God's love so that others will know 
that he is the Christ and that others will know that we are his disciples by our love for one another. And this is a family commitment. It's a hard commitment. How many of you know it's the hardest people to love is your family? <laughs> Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. Um, I feel prompted to tell you the story. Last night after I get done preaching Saturday night service, we go home and, uh, uh, and me and my kids are, are sitting, we have a little hot tub in the backyard, and we're like, oh, just sitting in the hot tub talking about what, what their service was about in kids' time. Uh, my kids are kids, and they do bad things. And my kids were being very mean to each other. And I said, hey, there's got to be consequences. You, that, was, that was not Jesus' love or demonstrating that's love. So, uh, for instance, <laughs> when I said that, uh, one of my children, whenever they are going to get consequences. They get really defensive and like mean. And it gets extreme, right? Punching walls like, oh, how can you, you don't love me. You hate me, right? Like this kind of thing. And then, and starts telling me while we're sitting there in the hot tub how, how they're going to run away. Okay, this is my seven-year-old. They're going to run away from home and, and and, and we're sitting there, it's too cold to leave the hot tub, so we have to have a conversation. It's like, she can't quite run away, because uh, it's just too cold, and we're outside. Uh, but she's just so, so angry and so doesn't want to be disciplined you know, for, for function outside. So it, it, it comes this conversation, I'm telling her about God's love, and I'm trying to affirm her in who, in who God says she is, and this is what discipline is, because discipline says, I love you too much to leave you broken, whereas punishment says like, you get what's coming to you. You deserve it, right? So we're going to discipline our children. We're going we're gonna to love them. I'm trying to tell her about discipline, why this is, I love her so much. But she's still ready to run away. But as, as you start to feel the atmosphere, like as we're having this conversation, she starts to feel God's love. Like I'm praying for her in my spirit. I'm like, God, how is she ever going to get your love? Like, how do you get this message across? And, and after the conversation starts playing itself out, she, she eventually asks me if I'll run away with her. <laughs> and I was like, I, I don't know. That's a great question. Like, <laughs> I want to because I love you so much. I don't want you to go, and I'm going to be so sad, and we're going to be so sad. And she's like, but, but like, will you just come with me? Because she, now she's scared to run away because it's so cold. And she's like, I might freeze to death. I don't know. And I was like, I don't know either. I, I don't know if you're going to run, but I, I, and then she's like, well, well, and I was like, I don't think I can leave because, because I got to take care of all, everybody else. Like I, like I still got to be dad. And I, and she's like, but well, if, if I come back, will the doors be locked? And I want to tell you this, this was a conviction in my spirit because in a moment, in a moment, I'm talking about this family love, this dynamic of God's fatherly love. My heart, my flesh, I should say my flesh wanted to say like, I am totally going to lock the door on you. And you're going to sit outside and freeze until you learn your lesson. Urgh. Why do you want to run away? Like, don't you understand how much? And, and in that moment, the Lord, like, rebuked me. Like, we just got done singing the song, right, about, about Heavenly Father who's, whose arms are always wide open. And I, and I was rebuked in that second, like, this was, a, this was an anti-Christ, anti-Jesus spirit that I wanted to believe, that I wanted to believe, like, with my anger, you're going to experience my love. <laughs> and in reality, I was like, no, baby girl, my, our doors are always open. You can come home anytime. And we did. We helped her. I helped her pack up her backpack. She still wanted to run away. She got her consequences. She still wanted to run away. But I helped her pack her backpack. I made sure she was safe. 
and uh, and I opened the door for her. I was like, "You're you're always welcome here. I love you so much." And I and her siblings are crying. They're all standing there crying. <laughs> They're like, "Is she?" They were terrified. She's gonna die. And I was like, "I don't know. I don't know." But <laughs> but I know God's good. and He's gonna take care of her. And we saw, they all started praying. And she left. She left our house. She had her she had her coat and her backpack and her flip flops on. It's 30 degrees. And she left. And and I shut the door and told her, we love you and we're praying for you. And, uh, and we all started praying and I tucked all the kids in. And it was probably, you know, about five minutes later or so. Like she comes back with her head down and rings the doorbell and comes back and she's got all bundled up. And daddy, can I just, can I come home? It was too cold. It was too cold. I'm like, of course, baby girl, we love you. We want you to be here. We want you to know this is a place where you're loved and where you're cared for and you're going to experience God's love over and over again. Uh, and, and we got to snuggle, and I got to help her into bed, and we just snuggled, and we, and we sang together and prayed. And God's love is so good, and I'm rebuked constantly by my flesh to want to manipulate God's love or practice love outside of family, to think you can do love or experience God's love on your own or in, in your own way outside of family, I, I think is a lie from the devil. And, and John is continuing to say, my beloved, my beloved, my beloved, come find your love here in God, in this family that I've built in Christ. Um, and so he, he's, gonna, he's gonna push that reality, but he's also gonna give us, he's also gonna give us uh, a warning, right? We see ourselves through Christ's family, through Christ, through who he died for and who he is, but there are some manipulators out there. There are some things that can, you can look at, you can hear from, and they will change your, your identity and they will change how you perceive God and his family. And he's gonna start to warn us about this. So listen, verse one and verse two. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you will know the spirit of God, and every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. All right? So John is going to say, hey, there are some spirits. These are lying spirits. These are anti. They are against Jesus Christ. Spirits. These are demon demons. Demonic spirits. They're out there. They're real. Okay? Different lies that we believe. Like last night when I was sitting in the hot tub, I believe this lie that if I... If I do fathering like this with anger and resentment and lock her out of my house, she'll learn her lesson. This was an antichrist spirit. I was, I was threatened to believe that, that that would get the point across instead of manifesting God's love to the full and, and endearing my daughter and loving her as much as I could and showing her how valuable she is. Um, and, by, uh, and also I wanna say, um, in the sense of we're not gonna go through the definition of love uh, ultimately, you can go through 1 Corinthians 13. I have a little booklet that I wrote a while ago that's just a study of 1 Corinthians 13 I wanna give to every family that's on the, on the back as you guys are heading out because we're gonna, not gonna go through the definition of love. I know love gets twisted. Um, this definition of love gets twisted. And so we wanna enforce that reality of, of God's love and what this means, right? But ultimately love, also translated charity, means to give of oneself for the betterment of others. To, to give of oneself, even to lay down your life. The Bible says no greater love has any man than, than man lay down his life for his friend, which is what Jesus did for us. Um, so we're, we're not gonna take time going through the definition of love, but this is what these antichrist spirits are coming after and John saying beware of false prophets. These are people who declare these spirits, these lies, okay? 
He says they will not, so number one, because uh, I want to give like a little test. Is who I'm listening to, is what I'm listening to truly God or not? Because we have to test these false spirits. We have to test these prophets, so-called prophets. Uh, a prophet is someone who, who speaks on behalf of God, who speaks for God, who hears God's heart. Um, a prophet, uh, let's see, I, I have a couple like technical definitions of prophet. Um, uh, let's see here in my notes. Ultimately, ultimately, that sums it up, if I can find it here in my notes. But uh, one, who, one who gives divinely inspired revelations, I think, is, is like a good, clear way. Uh, but in 1 Corinthians 14, a prophet is someone who's supposed to build up, exhort, and comfort the church with God's heart, with God's message, with God's words, with his truth. Um, but there are false prophets. Uh, they want to manipulate. They want to control. Uh, and we're going to go through, how do I test if who I'm listening to, who says they are of God... How, how am I going to test and know if they really are of God? How do I know the message that they're preaching is bringing me closer to Jesus Christ and more fully in the identity of Christ or drawing me away from? Because you think of even, even Jesus' uh, most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, his last words in that whole sermon in Matthew chapter 7 are, beware of false prophets. Uh, you can know them by, your, by their fruit, though. You can test them by their fruit, but these false prophets are going out, they're lying and deceiving, and they're manipul manipulating you to not be the fullness of who you are and not experience my love to the fullness of, of how I want you to experience it. Uh, and then uh, and, and Jesus continues to give that warning, and he says, some of you, some people will stand before me in the last day, right, at the judgment, and will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. All right, so these false prophets never encountered the love of Jesus Christ. They never came into that relationship that Jesus Christ paid for. They may be very religious. They may have degrees beyond degrees. They may be extremely intelligent. Um, but John's going to give us these warnings saying, hey, watch out. Because some of these words, some of these lies can manipulate you and turn you away from who you're supposed to be in Christ. Um, so... Uh, and I wrote down some other verses, Matthew 7, 15. Beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. Yikes. Matthew 24, 24. For false Christs and false prophets will arise up and perform great signs and lead many astray, even if possible, the elect. Yikes. Terrifying. First Thessalonians 5, 20. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast to that which is good. Uh, the whole book of Revelation is a prophecy about these, this beast and this false prophet who's going to rise up and they're going to manipulate all right, Galatians 1.8, but even if you, if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you any other gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. All right, a lot of warnings about false prophets and about listening to the truth and knowing who you're listening to. Uh, number one, does your supposed prophet, does this person you're listening to believe in the redemptive work in the blood of Jesus Christ? Do they believe that Jesus is who he says he is and who we testify the disciples, the apostles, 500 people that, that met with Jesus after his resurrection, so much testifies to the reality of who Jesus Christ is beyond our own experiences and encounter with Jesus too. There's so much to testify to who Jesus is. Uh, if someone does not believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, this is, this is error number one. If they do not believe that Jesus is who he says he is, uh, portrayed by the word of God, uh, then, then we're already in error, okay? Testing false prophets. Number two, so that was verses one through three. They will have an, these guys will have an antichrist spirit. Four through six, you are of God, little children. There we go, another endearing term inside a family. You have overcome them. 
Here we go. He's telling you who you are and what you have power to do. Because he who is in you is greater than he who's in the world. They are of the world, right? These false prophets, these evil spirits. Therefore, they speak from the world as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and a spirit of error. Two spirits. Spirit of truth, spirit of error. Spirit of truth, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Lies of the devil of the world. And he's like, this is the way that we can know what you're listening to. So number two, does this supposed prophet, the truth that you're listening to, the person you're listening to, do they submit to church leadership? Do they submit to church leadership? He says, this is how we know uh, of these people because, uh, let's see, verse six, we are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. Here's an apostle, John, and a prophet. John writes the greatest prophecy maybe we have in the whole revelation of the Bible, which is the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ, all right? And he says, they're not listening to us. These prophets aren't listening to God's word. They're not listening to us when they preach because they can't hear. They don't have the ability to. Their hearts haven't been illuminated by the Holy Spirit. They are only functioning in lies because that's who they are. They're only being who they are. They can't hear us, and they don't submit to our authority. God created a family that has authority. It has leadership. It has structure for a reason. Jesus is the head of his church, right? And he goes through the family structure. We can study family, uh, but a lot of times false prophets, they will not submit to, to church leadership. They won't submit to apostolic leadership. These people who are coming to build, that God has commissioned to build, build a church, to start a church, to say, hey, you're, you're the authority in this region in Christ, so stand on my authority, be my ambassadors, and you're going to do it through family. This is a church, and these prophets typically, they don't listen to church authority. They don't submit to church authority uh, because they typically don't want to be accountable. We're supposed to test false prophets, and if you're a prophet or you, or you have uh, the gift of prophecy and you're not willing to be accountable and you're not willing to have people that you trust more than yourself, a lot of prophets, oh, I don't only trust myself, I don't want to listen to what I, if you have an authority issue, uh, there's, there's probably a reality that Christ's love has not penetrated your heart and, and, and maybe you haven't encountered the living Christ, Jesus. If we're not humble enough to submit ourselves to, to our authorities and say, hey, like, I'm, I'm, I am capable of being wrong. I'm capable of becoming a false prophet myself. He says, they, they went out from us. Like the Bible says, they went out from us. They were of us, but they went out from us. There's a lot of false prophets start with some form of religion in the church or some revelation of, of biblical content, but they never get biblical intent. They never see God's heart. They never experience God's love, but they might've memorized the whole Bible. Hello, Pharisees, memorized the whole, you know, five, first five books of the Bible. And Jesus is here saying, like, you're, you're making people twice the sons of hell that you are. You're so blind. I mean, Jesus' words were pretty aggressive <laughs> uh, to people who, who claimed to be godly but did not know God's heart. Number two, does, does a supposed prophet uh, submit to apostolic church leadership, to church leadership? Um, do they submit to accountability system to say, hey, are my words truly God's words? Are my words demonstrating the love of Jesus Christ? Are my words coming out with power, not just with intelligence, because the Holy Spirit's touching your heart and changing you? Uh, and if not, I want to be corrected. I want to be disciplined. I want to be set on the straight and narrow. I want to be right with Christ in that way. Um, number three, we're going to go into verses 7 through 16. I'm going to read through those real quick. 
Beloved, let us love one another. There's beloved again. There's loving one another. (laughs) For love is of God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. For God is love. God is love. Now here's a quick thing that I want to put out there though. God is love fully and completely. Love is not God. (laughs) A lot of people's definition of love has become God. Uh, every, every song put out there in pop culture, every video put out there in pop culture media, like everything has, has the, the theme of love, right? Would you say that's probably the greatest theme of, of everything that everybody consumes, media, culture, like it, it's what we all want. And love has become God, but a wrong definition of love. Love has been manipulated and twisted. That's a lot of what I go after in that, that little book that I wrote, like, who is love? God is love, and what is this definition of true love? So it says, God himself is love. For this is the love of God. Here we go. We're going to define it, and we're just going to preach the gospel. This is how God's love was manifested towards us, verse 9. That God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Here's the gospel. Not not a get out of hell free card. Not a hey, just accept Jesus into your heart and live however you want and like you get out of hell free, this is awesome. Or you get to like just come to church and get free donuts. Whatever, whatever the gospel was portrayed as, here's the gospel that God became flesh, humbled himself to become a man and died and suffered in our place. It literally says he became the propitiation for our sins. He became the, the payment for our sins. And he says this is the demonstration of true love, and now that we might live through him. Love doesn't stop here. It just perpetuated and grows, and people experience the living God as we continue to manifest that sacrificial type of love where God would give up his own son so that we could have a relationship with him, so that we could experience life and truth and peace and joy. The kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, and that's what Jesus paid for. And so he's like, Here's, here's the gospel, verse nine towards us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be, there it is, the propitiation for our sins, the payment for our sins. Beloved, there he can, oh, there's a third time in there. I didn't catch that one. If God so loves us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected, matured in us. By this we know that we abide in him. Here we go. Your love can't mature outside of family context. Some of, some of the culture that's going on right now, uh, where people, um, where in our culture, we don't want to commit to marriage, right? Uh, we don't want to commit to, you just think of general culture, the way that, that the lie has been told. The lack of commitment to say, like, I want to lay down my life for you for the rest of my life. Or, or within family, no matter what you do to me, I'm in covenant. I am only going to always love you and try to pursue you and try to make you better by whatever that takes sacrificially from me. I'm signing up for covenant love. I'm signing up to lay my life down because I know I will become better through the sharpening and the shaping. And I know I'm not perfected without the love of Christ manifested through family, through commitment, through covenant. And Jesus makes this covenant to us and demonstrates it to us. By this we know that we abide in him, verse 13, he in us because he has given us his Holy Spirit. 
And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. Thank you, Jesus. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, then God abides in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed that the love of God for us, for God is love. He says it again. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. A whole lot of love in that, in that short reading. But here's, here's a reality, because this is still under the context of, of evil spirits, antichrist spirits and false prophets. Uh, number three, is the supposed prophet motivated by God's love or by something else? Are they motivated by God's love? All he's doing, John here is saying, look, love is the message, love is the motive, love is the power, love is everything that God is and is supposed to be through us and is what's gonna transform. So whoever you're listening to, whatever prophet, whatever spirit, is their motive love? Let's test their motives. What's the motive of their heart? Do they love you? Probably gonna be manifested in their actions. We're gonna see that later. What's the motive? Or is it something else? Most false prophets uh, need attention. <laughs> Their motive is attention. Probably because they weren't loved somewhere. They, they experienced something early on in their life where they were abused, taken advantage of, weren't shown the affectionate attention that they needed. And they started to be- believe that lie and become bitter and angry and turned into this place where now they're no longer motivated by love, but they're motivated by attention. Motiva- motivated by greed. We have the false prophet Balaam in the old and it, he started off as a true prophet, right? And then he starts, the motive of his heart starts to become money. And he, he literally man, manipulates all of Israel uh, through his prophetic gifting. Now, what's, his, what's the motive? We've got a story in Acts, uh, where's that 16, where do you remember this, um, this fortune teller girl? Uh, the fortune teller girl who comes up to uh, uh, Paul. Paul's preaching at that time. Paul's preaching and a fortune teller girl. She literally has a gift of, of prophecy. She has the ability to tell people's future used in a demonic way, in a demonic reason, but she's saying all the right things. She's saying, these are the true preachers of God, the Holy One. She's saying the right things with the wrong motives. What, what's her motive? Why is she being so aggravating? And why is she, I mean, it says Paul got so aggravated that eventually he rebuked the evil spirit in her and it came out and she got saved and it totally jacked up the whole economy of these people and then they got thrown in jail. Anyway, be careful when you're gonna cast out evil spirits. Might, might go to prison. But <laughs> here's, here's a reality of a girl who was saying all the right things. These are the holy ones of God. Listen to them. And she was doing it in an annoying way, the wrong way, and for the wrong motives. But saying the right thing, technically, technically, all right? So we're watching out for these people. What are their motives? Because eventually what happens sometimes, and I've seen it even in my own world, where maybe people uh, around Paul's teaching and, and experiencing Paul's power, this, this manipulative fortune teller comes in and is like, yeah, listen to Paul, listen to Paul. And, and it starts being this like really aggressive spiritual person like, whoa, you're all about Paul too. And, and kind of wins some people to herself maybe and then tells their fortune. And all of a sudden, people have connected themselves to demons and evil spirits uh, because of a man- manipulation. Uh, so are we watching the motives of people's heart? Is their motive God's love? Is their motive God's love? Uh, so is the supposed prophet motivated by God's love or by something else? Need to be noticed. Money, fame, power, manipulation, control, self-righteousness. There's a million other motives other than God's love that someone can speak the word of God. Um, number four, we're going into verses 17 through 19. 
Love has been perfected among us in this. It's been matured among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. That's a really heavy statement. As Jesus is, so are we. If we own that, game over. Game over. Game over. Oh, there's so much I want to unpack there. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment or judgment or rejection, that word. But he who fears has not been made perfect or mature in love yet. We love him because he first loved us. False prophets, oftentimes, uh, number four, does the supposed prophet use fear or love to motivate God's people? Do they use fear or love? Because fear has to do with judgment or, or rejection. Uh, oftentimes we react the way we do. We have fears because, because we're consumed with this idea that we're going to be punished, we're going to be judged. Uh, and obviously this is talking about more of an eternal thing. It's talking about we, we've got boldness at the day of judgment. We're going to come up before the throne and say, Christ paid for it all. I've got, <laughs> he was already judged. Sin was already judged on the cross. And we could come in with boldness to God on the day of judgment. And, and, and it's, it's done. It's covered. There's a boldness in this. There's where God's love is perfecting us. We walk in that reality. And there's no more fear. Fear has, has fully cast out any, or I sorry, love has fully cast out any fear any idea of rejection, like the father doesn't reject me anymore, I'm sorry. I remember this, this, old, this old prophet I used to listen to, a kid, a kid uh, always like yelling at him as he was preaching, street preaching or something, he's like, go to hell! And the prophet's like, I'm sorry, I can't. I, I, don't, I literally can't. I, like it's taken care of. There's no fear of judgment, like I can't even go to hell if I wanted to. Like Jesus paid it and I accepted it and received it, like I'm sorry, I can't. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm just loved. I'm so loved. Like, I can't even go there. And like that reality consumes him because a lot of times false prophets will use fear and, um, to motivate God's people. And so you got to be careful when you're listening to people preaching God's word. Uh, are, they, are they using God's love? Like, God loves you. So this can transform you. It's God's kindness, Romans do, that leads us into repentance. Or is it, oh, you're going to be judged. God's coming after you. You better not. Or God, do you know what you did? God's going to come. God's going to get you. God's going to get you. Watch out. Right? This fear, watch out for that. He says perfected love, mature love casts out all fear. Like I just get to walk in the reality that I'm loved and taken care of, protected, guarded, and provided for. And that in the end, there's no judgment for me. Sin was judged on the cross and left there. And now Jesus gives me life. There's a freedom. All right? Last of all, um, so, so that last point, do your, does the supposed prophet or person preaching, uh, do they use fear? Uh, to, to kind of try to control you, to get you to change, or do they use love? And this is the concept that John's going after. And then la- number five, does this supposed prophet love people? You will know them by their fruit. Verse 20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this is the commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must also love his brother. This is the standard. This is the standard. I have encountered God's love, and by nature, I am transformed and, and am love. I am love. That's who I am because Christ encountered me because he transformed me from the inside out. Behold, all things have become new. I'm not the same old creature. Well, the reality is 
uh, some people might preach. Some people might tell you different, whatever they say is truths. They might even preach God's word. And as you test their fruit, uh, you'll know a fruit, you'll know a, a tree by its fruit, uh, Matthew chapter seven, as we're testing false prophets. Do they love people? Let's just get down to the, <laughs> let's just get down to the nitty gritty. Go and knock on all their neighbor's doors and say, who's the most loving person on the street? Yikes, yikes. They'll know them by, by their love. They'll know them by their love. Christ's love is manifest through our actions to lay down our lives and serve other people. That's what he did for us. And so these false prophets, these false prophets, do they love people? Uh, when I was growing up in a really, really religious, strict background, um, my dad was a pastor uh, of a denomination that was very, very religious. They're, they loved God. Um, but but the, rel- the religion, the, um, um, yeah, what's, what's the term that a lot of people use? Like legalism, I guess they use kind of a term. Like it's all about rules and fear. Um, I grew up in this. And I remember when God arrested my heart in high school and just consumed me with his love and then I came back to my church and I saw everybody in their perfect ties and in their, in their perfect, you know, we wear t- ties and dresses and drove in their perfect cars and I knew these people. Like, I knew them. I'd been in their homes. Some of my friends, you know, I've been in their houses. I'm like, and I remember walking into church. I remember having this. I can, I can see myself in the lobby saying like, God, if this is it, like, I don't want it. Like, these, these people are so like angry and bitter and, and I'm seeing husbands that don't love their wives and their wives are angry and mad and sad and abused and I'm like, if, if this is it, like, well, I don't know what to do because I don't see love manifest in here. I don't see it. I don't feel it anywhere. You can feel love. <laughs> you can feel love. When someone lays down their life for you, you're indebted to them, I mean, on a soul level, on a, on a spirit level, like, oh my gosh, I'd do anything for you. Um, you can feel it when people truly love. And so does the, do these prophets actually love people or are they in it for some other motive? Uh, here's the test of what John's giving in this passage as we test right from wrong, evil spirits from God's Holy Spirit and truth. Uh, prophets, people we listen to who say, hey, I got a word for, from God for you. <laughs> Is it love? Is it motivating me by love? Is there intention love? Do they love people? And is it aligned with God's word? Do they submit it to the accountability of God's word and, and other people that they entrust to say, yeah, that's the counsel of God. That's real. That's good. That's love. Um, so just submit this, this to you guys. Um, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll, I'll open up for just a few questions. Actually, let's pray at the end and open up for questions now. Let's do that, just in case some of you guys bring up some, some ideas or things that we need to pray into. Um, so we're going to just kind of do open mic time like we normally do. Are there any questions that you guys have or comments that you have, um, stories, experience that you've had with, with people saying that they're of God or prophets or around this context of prophets or God is love, uh, the reality of the essence of who God is? Any questions, comments, thoughts? I'd love to hear. Yeah, back here. I'm Lorraine. I just want to say thank you for yielding to the Lord on this service. Mm. I went exactly through what you're preaching today. My uncle had a church, and they were very spiritually abusive to the laity. Mm -hmm. It was terrible. Mm. And um, all I learned from that church was how to judge 
Mm. And I hate to say this, but hate. And they would always preach conduct, order, and doctrine. And their lives said one thing, but their spirits behind closed doors showed another. And it's spooky mm. when you see that. Yeah. Especially, um, they would sit there. You could see a deacon or somebody out of line. And if you would say something to them or question it, you're not supposed to question the elders. Mm -hmm. Well, where does the accountability come mm -hmm. from? Yeah. You know, if you can't be accountable for the sin that you're living in your life, it's got to come from somewhere. And how can you preach this when you're living that? Yeah. yeah. And it's Yikes. hard to line up under something like that. Whoa. And I just, and that was my uncle's church. And I'm just so thankful to the Lord that he's brought me here because it's, I hate to say this, but it's life and death. Yeah. And yeah. the Lord says, you're either hot or cold. You're in the middle, you're lukewarm, I'll spit you mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be found there. And I'm just thankful yeah. that I'm here. Amen. What conviction I, yes. Yeah. I, I just want to talk to that real quick. And I hope that everybody knows this. Um, but we very much want to be a place where if there is anything that any one of you questions about what we do, we hope that you know you can bring that to us. Amen. Amen. As Josh said, dude, incredible Amen. message, bro. Praise the Lord. Incredible. But as he said, none of us are perfect. I mean, raise your hand if you're perfect in this room. Okay, no one. That's So we're all going to make mistakes from time to time, and we're all going to say things uh, maybe in an incorrect way, even with the right heart sometimes. And so we need you to understand and walk in and embrace that you have permission to challenge anything Amen. that has been said here. Amen. I agree with the Amen. authority. The church is built on authority. Yeah. Um, but what we're even trying to do is uh, disseminate that authority to many people so that it's not just one person. It's a group of people. It's a body. It's a family. Um, and so I want everyone in this room to understand that you always have an open door to come share and say, hey, this didn't sit right with me, and um, let's talk about it. Don't just mm -hmm. leave this church because you heard something you didn't like. That's not a family. Yeah. You don't just yeah. leave your family. You, you bring it to it, and you work it out. Amen. And so I'm giving you, we're giving you, and I hope you're hearing this, permission at any point to say, hey, I, I want to ask you about that because I'm not sure it lines up with how I see the word of God. Yeah, amen, 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 amen. Yeah, right here. Amen, thank you so much. This is uh, really powerful. Um, so I know Kyler a few months ago did a class on spiritual gifts. Mm -hmm. I don't know kind of where we all are uh, collectively in this room in terms of our understanding of the gift of prophecy, but yeah. you, you alluded to something in your sermon where, um, you know, you could have the gift of, pro or this is how I took it, you could have the gift of prophecy and on occasion get it wrong. Yeah. Could, could yeah. you kind of speak to that? Um, yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so is the, is the false prophet just uh, a, an individual that's always a false prophet or can, can one um, have the gift of prophecy, be in good standing, have the best of intentions and just get it wrong? Yeah. Time to time. Can I speak to that? That's a that's a great question because uh, this gets argued a lot uh, in my background, um, where I where I come from and some like my family background. Uh, they don't believe in uh, 
prophets. The prophets were only for the Old Testament and and for the the apostles, and so uh, they don't believe that or that or in prophesying, hearing God's heart and like de- declaring God's heart. And so and there's a couple passages that say like if if a prophet gets this thing wrong in the Old Testament, like kill him. <laughs> it's like whoa, that's intense. Um, there's a there's a lot to go into. Uh, I would love. I would love to study out like New Testament prophecy because because Jesus t- changed everything. John the Baptist came. He was he was the last Old Testament prophet. All right, they uh, man, there's so much to go into into prophecy. Jesus came in and he, and he's perfect prophet, priest, and king. Uh, and then we have ultimately the standard of prophesying given throughout the whole New Testament is 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 grow, mature, test test every word. Uh, and so, as far as getting a word wrong in a sense of like, uh, if I were to foretell, a lot of times prophets do see the future, see what God's doing or what God wants to do in the future. Uh, and so if you, let's say a prophet, like, oh, you're going to get a new business deal next next June. It doesn't come to pass. Like, is that prophet evil? Is he wrong? Is he, um, there's, we have to test God's word. We have to be willing to, to hear God's heart, I think, uh, ultimately. Correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, DJ, or your guys' hearts on, on prophesying, but all I see in Thessalonians and all over is like, test, test these guys, test the word, uh, because they're trying to hear God's heart. They're trying to hear God's heart through his word, and they're trying to give it to you in a way that encourages you, ex- uh, edifies you, builds you up. And if it, if it comes across wrong, especially on a specific word, like, I believe I heard this from God. So usually like when I give a, a prophecy, specifically like when I say, hey, I believe I heard this from God, like, here in three months, you're gonna, whatever, be healed. Your right legs will be healed. Something like that. I, I believe I hear that. Test it. Uh, it can get discouraging. You have to be so careful hearing God's word. You've gotta submit that and like, hey, just test this. See if this is of God. But let's go after it. Let's pray prayerfully. Um, I do not believe someone who gets something a little bit off or wrong uh, needs to go be hung and killed. Uh, I just, do you guys have any thoughts into that? Um, Dan, DJ, because I could teach, uh, anyway, we could teach through what a, what a New Testament prophet does. Uh, to, to some degree, you've got, I think it's Agabus, uh, I forget who was the New Testament prophet, who declared Paul, Paul, and he like ripped off his belt and he ripped his clothes. This is what's going to happen. He, bi- he bound up his hands and he, he prophesied right before Paul went and got killed. He said, this is what's going to happen. They're going to be turned over by the, by the Jews. And, and that didn't actually happen that way. Well, some people say, well, he was wrong. That prophet was wrong. But symbolically, it kind of happened because he was turning. Like, right? So we have a, a literal example of where a prophet said something really specific that it would happen in this way, and it didn't exactly happen that way or with that binding. With, uh, but in, in, in generalities, it happened. He eventually got turned over, but not by Jews, and, and got killed in, by Rome and got his head chopped off. Like, so <laughs> you're hearing the heart of God. You're hearing the message, like the general, like this, is, this might be what, this is what's happening. Um, but I, but God speaks in dreams and visions, even 1 Corinthians 13 that tells us about love, right, as the highest goal of our prophecy. Uh, it says we prophesy in part. Uh, we, we speak in part, like everything, we're trying to get to know the mysteries of God and we're trying to hear his heart and be as diligent as we can with his truth. And so there's gotta be, I believe, a lot of grace to say, hey, we'll test that word and we'll see if it comes true and we'll believe because we need prophets. We need people who say, this is the heart of God or this is what God's doing. Let's go after it. It may encourage our faith and, and bolster us forward to say, okay, let's go after that because we see what, that's what God's doing and God's heart. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, oh yeah, Janelle, what kind of prophesied actually last night and some beautiful, like I believe this is what God's saying this is what God, and it was, it was encouraging to the body, edify the body. Um, 
Anyway, great question. Any other thoughts, comments, questions? Would love to. Yeah. There's a microphone behind you. My name is Marcus. Hello, everybody. Hello. Um, there's a lot of YouTube prophets. Yeah. Right? Yeah. What yeah. I call YouTube prophets. Yeah. Right? And I'm not going to say that all of them are bad. Yeah. But we want to do exactly what you've just pointed out. I, I'm going to take this message and utilize this to, um, to test the words that are spoken whenever I hear some kind of a prophecy online or somebody that I don't know, right? Could you speak to that a little bit more? Because uh, I know that there's, there's a tendency to think, oh, this, this prophet has a following. They've got a YouTube channel. They've got, they got 150,000 views. Yeah. They, you know, it must be right, yeah. right? Well, yeah. maybe. Maybe not. Not not based on the number of views, right? Yeah. yeah. There's a, there's a lot of prophets who were humbled in the last like uh, online prophets and like well known prophets who were humbled during the whole uh, last election presidential election who gave these different words and dreams and said I I know I believe a lot of people at least that I had heard of said like Trump's coming back into office and they prophesied this um, and they're well known prophets who got a lot of words accurate uh, you know a lot of things they heard God's heart accurate. You know, and then he didn't get into office. And a lot of them wrote these statements of apology. Like, that's how I would test it too. Is like, what was their hearts afterwards? Are they trying to defend themselves, or are trying to, or are they like, hey, I can be wrong sometimes, and I just pray that you know God's love for for President Biden, and we pray for him and love him well. Um, yeah, because I could be wrong. I, I thought I heard this, or I had this dream, and I may have interpreted it wrong because interpretations belong to the Lord as well. And somebody tries to interpret it in their own spirit, in their own knowledge, in their own wisdom, you're gonna get it wrong. This, the interpretation belongs to the Lord. And if he doesn't give interpretation, which I've been uh, guilty of before, having a dream, I often get dreams and, and God's spoken to me through dreams and I've shared those with people and it's changed their destiny, it changed their job, changed situation because God spoke and I was just a conduit. I had nothing to do with it. I was just sleeping. <laughs> I didn't get a dream. But I've tried to interpret it in my own flesh sometimes or in my own wisdom or my own knowledge and I've gotten it wrong and it's hurt people and it's really discouraged people and it's really beat people up. Uh, so it's been really humbling. Uh, one came in uh, online uh, from somebody watching. It says, this great material about love and how the Antichrist spirit manifests uh, using fear, etc. But what about the love toward God, or what about that love toward God can and should manifest in the fear of the Lord yeah. as a positive attribute versus the fear of man? Amen. Um, can you speak to that? Yeah, we definitely have to take the whole Bible in context. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, we have to fear the Lord. Even even Solomon, the wisest man in the world, says, oh, would we just fear God and obey his commands? Like, this is the end. Uh, so it's reality of that fear, that reverence, because they are the same word, fear, uh, that reverence, that like that holy fear before God, to tremble before him and his word, that we would hear him and get it accurate. Um, but in this passage, the context was fear of judgment and condemnation. Um, that's what he was saying, that, that people are coming around and preaching condemnation, which is not the message of Jesus Christ. Um, and it, there's a fear that where people just function out of fear. They live out of fear. They, they do their relationship with others and Jesus out of fear and, and manipulation. He was going after that. that someday we're going to stand before God just fearless as his love is perfected because we know what we have in Christ and who we are in Christ. So specifically, I would say that that context was about judgment, um, not about fearing the Lord, because we do need to fear the Lord um, and, and hold him in that place. Hi, I'm Rosie. 
So I, I was just thinking the whole time you were talking about this, when we started the questions, about like in the past, getting words and getting prophetic words and stuff from people. And um, the Lord just kept reminding me of this. <laughs> I had a couple that had been like, you know, people I knew, people I fellowshiped with, and we were in prayer together, just getting together to pray for other things. And then all of a sudden they have a word for me. And um, uh, I just wanted to share the things that happened when it was a false word. Yeah. So yeah. the way I knew was this one girl, <laughs> she said, I see you as a rag doll, like the Raggedy Ann. And she just started going off on Raggedy Ann. And I'm looking at her like, what? And I, I said to myself, I don't receive this. But I should have said it out loud. Like, I'm sorry, I don't receive this. This is not of God. And I think that's something that we need to learn, like, because it needs to teach them also. Yeah. I don't know what her motive was and what the reason was. It wasn't encouraging. It wasn't edification. It wasn't exhortation. It didn't bring me yeah. closer to the Lord. Yeah. It was just complete condemnation wow. and judgment. So I think that we need to learn how to do that and how to be bold and strong. And then after that one, and I got one a little later, I did say, I'm sorry, that's not a true word. I don't receive that. Yeah. And I just walked away. And that's what I think we're supposed to do. I mean, yeah. it's, it's actually yeah. loving and righteous to say, eh, that's yeah. wrong. Yeah. Uh, you, can be, you can be wrong in the way that you're right, too. And I think us prophets have to learn that reality. Um, one time I gave a word to a guy, I had a dream, and it was in, in uh, the Lord revealed to me that, that he had been sinning in a specific area. And I called him the next morning, like, hey, man, this is a dream I had about you. And, and I think I was, uh, it came a, I can come across a little condemning or like, how can you be, how can you, instead of, with the same word, filter through the love of God, like, hey, man, this isn't God's love and best for you. And, and first ask questions, not accuse or judge, right? There's a way that as prophets have to learn how to prophesy because the word might be accurate, but we, our, our love may be off and, and the message may not be received. And so there's on both parts, I agree. The prophet learning how to come through the love of Christ in his love and in his forgiveness and mercy. And then um, the person receiving it and being able to. And I would, I would also speak to that. This is why it's super important, guys, to get into your word. Oh, yeah. Amen. If you don't know the truth that's in the Bible, then when somebody speaks a word over you, um, you, you might receive that word and take it as that's the truth because maybe you trust this person or whatever. And there is a whole lot of incorrect teaching that's going out there that people are being sucked into because they just don't know the Bible. Amen. And so get into your word so that when you do hear that word spoken over you, it, it does edify and encourage yeah. and uplift. It can be actually even kind of a tough word. Yeah, but if you word. know the word and you know the spirit, as you hear somebody saying that, you can receive that tough word as edifying and encouraging. Yeah. Uh, but you have to know the word. Um, so strongly encourage you. Get into your Bibles. Amen. Amen. That's... Um, yes. My name is Lauren. I, um, as you're talking, I think one of the things that I'm doing this whole sermon is just is is asking the Lord to reveal like, um, where am I in these things, right? Like, yeah. and and I think it's a good question for each of us as we're saying like, okay, where am I in in fear and shame and that like you know how what part does that play in my walk with the Lord? Where am I? And when in love, mm -hmm. 
And, and I feel like, man, the Lord has such incredible grace to, call, to always bring us back. And one yeah. of the things that I saw in this passage is John is repeatedly saying, your love is not perfected yet. Yeah. Like, if this is true, if, if this is there, then your love has not been perfected yeah. in you. Then my love it. has not been perfected in you. And so even in the recognizing, um, is this an inaccurate representation of Jesus or is this an accurate representation of Jesus? Is this a false prophecy or a real one? Really, the, I think John's heart is I want you to see Jesus I want you to see him as he is. And so we can use this absolutely as a kind of a barometer in our own life. Like, am I seeing Jesus as he really is? Where can mm. I grow in this? Mm. And to recognize, man, love might not be perfected in me yet, but that doesn't mean that I don't know the Lord and that, you know, it's, it's how we respond to the conviction of the Holy Amen. Spirit, to his kindness that brings us to repentance. Um, Amen. Yeah. Our love needs to be matured. That's uh, that's that word, matured, grown. Now there's one more over here. Amen. Great word. Hi, sorry, I don't want to go for too long, but um, <clears throat> uh, we were talking actually about something last night in youth, um, and it was really cool, and I feel like it relates to this. Basically, um, what we were reading was in Genesis, and it's the first time God makes a covenant. Um, with his people. It's uh, the Mosaic Covenant um, with Moses, and it's after the flood, and he basically, what he says, what he describes in the covenant is that it's unconditional, and that's one thing we talked about, um, and uh, so we were talking about uh, covenants and stuff to the kids, which I think is so cool, introducing them to that at such a young age, but um, yeah, it just struck me um, last night, the unconditional part um, and I think you said it even today, just talking about how God's grace is new every morning and yeah. stuff. Sometimes I totally forget that, but, um, I think, yeah, it, what I just think is just that God loves covenant. And, um, I think what he loves about it is the unconditional part is saying like, no matter what you do, it's, it doesn't matter what you do. This is from me. This is who I am. And, um, mm. I think it relates to the mirror that like you were talking about, just like that perspective. That's kind of the whole thing I was getting with that was just perspective. Um, and just that unconditional love of God is what gives you that perspective. And then that's what allows you to love people, um, mm. in the way that God really like, yeah, just truly loves you. Amen. So. Amen. Come on. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Um, one last thought and then, and I'll close this in prayer. Uh, this Please don't judge me too much. This book is written. I'm a chaplain to mostly unbelievers, and I wrote this. It's not a Christian book. It's like a study of 1 Corinthians 13, but I never mentioned the word Jesus or God or Bible or Bible verses or anything. It's a love personified, so he like writes a letter back to the world saying, hey, you've forgotten who I am. Please let me reintroduce myself. So don't judge me. Uh, it was supposed to be built as an evangelistic tool to, ex to, to show people encounter the love of God and then them ask, like, how do I experience this? How do I get this? And then you introduce them to Jesus and tell them about Jesus because love only comes from God. Um, so please don't judge me too much. It's not a Christian book. It doesn't mention Jesus, but it's a study of 1 Corinthians 13. Let me pray and bless this out. <laughs> Father, thank you so much for uh, your love, your love, uh, that was manifested in real time through Jesus Christ laying down his life for us. Lord, would that compel us to lay down our lives for others so that you would be glorified, Jesus' power and life would be manifested on earth. Uh, your kingdom would come. 
on earth as it is in heaven. So Lord, I just bless us to go out today in the fullness of your love, to be healed by your love, to be taken away and captivated by your love, and that the world around us uh, would also encounter your love for the glory of God. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.